Hello and welcome to the Nerdic Podcast, hosted by me, Emma Chittenden. I'm the founder and nerd in charge of Angels Playing Skittles and the Female Founder Toolkit. Each week, I'll be talking all things tech in a language that's a little more normal than nerdic. I am prone to dropping the odd frick bomb and maybe the occasional sugar. So if you've got little people around, you might want to cover their ears or listen to the podcast with your headphones in. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. And thanks for coming back for another episode. First up, I want to apologise for this being a day late. Um, It's dropping slightly late because every time I went to record this episode yesterday, I got interrupted by what I can only describe as the local council digging for gold. Or as my dad would say, the borough surveyor dropped his mobile phone and they had to dig up the road to find it, which always made me laugh, although he said a tanner. So I'm just updating it for modern times because, you know, most of you don't even know what a tanner is. I don't even know what a tanner is. Anyway, I digress. I couldn't record because there was too much uh, noise interference from outside and I was also going to be watching the Apple um, event at six o'clock yesterday evening, so um, I couldn't record later into the evening. Now, this week's episode, I'm talking all about beta testing, what it means to do beta testing, the process that's involved, why it's invaluable and roughly how to do it. It fitted in really nicely because of the Apple event last night, because for the last few months I've been beta testing the new Mac OS called Catalina and the brand new operating system that they've launched for the iPad which is um, a bit of a hybrid between having a Mac OS um, on your Mac and iOS so it's it's offering a bit of a bridge in the gap between it so it gives you a bit more functionality. Now if you've ever used any of the Apple products that are out there um, then you may be surprised to know that you can actually get early access to all of their software by being part of the beta testing program. So what I'm going to do in this session is just run through um, what beta testing is. Uh, To start off with, I should probably start with the bit that comes before beta testing, which is what we call alpha testing in technology. And alpha testing means that um, when you're building a software product, You start off and you do what's called discovery and discovery can take many different forms depending on what kind of methodology you're using in order to build a product and there's lots of different types of project management methodology and if you inhabit the design space you'll know that we spend more time talking about process and how to do it right and what is air quotes best practice than we ever seem to do to bloody build the damn thing which is why they're all filled full of bugs I suspect. Um, But the discovery phase starts off like this. A company has an idea for a product and they think it's a really good idea. So then they go out and they will test that idea um, to see whether or not it's a viable product that they could build. Once they've done that, they get a sense of, okay, well, this is our idea. It works, um, but we need to think about it in this way or we need to add this kind of feature to it. And if you're using a methodology called Agile, and I'm sure that if many people are listening, I'm probably going to get this wrong because it just varies so much, it seems, in, in the best way to implement this. But roughly speaking, what we'll do is you'll sit down and you'll create what's called a backlog. And a backlog is a big, long list of all the features that you want to go into that product. 
and the backlog will determine will be split up into kind of different sections so you will start off with the minimum viable product backlog which is what you need to make a product that will stand up that you can get out into the market and people will start using it and then you can start iterating on top of it and adding more things into it now once you've got a backlog we do something called grooming the backlog which sounds just awful especially in reference to um, a lot of what goes on online in the slightly nefarious areas um, it just seems like absolutely the wrong term to me um, and you're going to rapidly come to um, learn that I am all about words and what they mean and um, context and things like that around it so different words have different effects on me and I don't like the word grooming <laughs> so um, anyway when you've got a backlog you will trim it down to a manageable size chunk and then you'll start building the product now that's normally done in sprints um, and I don't mean like running to like on a track a sprint is any is a fixed period of time and what you do in that fixed period of time is you agree as part of that sprint you're going to design build and create a certain aspect of the product that you want to put out to market now once you get to the end of that sprint you have what's called a show and tell so you show the entire um, group organization product team whatever um, how far you've got how it works and people get to ask questions and effectively pick it up pick it apart now projects will come together ultimately with the goal of a go live date and most of them are built up out, made up out of these sprints there's other parts to it I'm keeping it simple and there are going to be people out there cringing about how I'm describing this I know that but a lot of the people listening don't know what this kind of life cycle looks like so once you've got to that point where you've got your minimum viable product you need to test it to make sure that it's in a usable state that you can then put it out into the beta testing environment we call this alpha testing and it's also known as acceptance testing user acceptance testing bug testing essentially what you're doing is you are testing the product based upon scripts that you defined at the start of the project so at the start of the project we all sit down and say this is what we want it to do this is how it's supposed to work and at the end of it we'll go back and say okay well this is what we agreed to build let's test it to make sure that it's supposed to work this particular way um, and you'll be testing it to make sure that it doesn't fail if it does fail you can't push it into the beta testing environment for obvious reasons well in, unless you're in some organizations in which case you'll just push it out hope for the best and it all goes tits up um that's happened a fair few times in my career um yeah that that's been kind of interesting now once you've got past the alpha testing it's then released into beta testing now beta testing is more often than not where you let real people loose on the product now the reason why you want to do this is because if you're testing in an alpha environment you're testing to a specific script and anybody that works with anything that relates to technology knows that there's about 3,000 or more different ways that you can work with a piece of technology no two ways are the same how I might use something is not how you use it you use it for example when you come to web browsers there are people that browse the internet and there are people that search the internet they are becoming a lot more merged these days but there's there's different types of behavior different patterns of behavior different um, uses people will test it in different ways but the idea with beta testing and certainly with stuff like um, Apple Mac products 
is that you want as many people testing it as possible so that when the product is launched to everybody, um, there are as fewer bugs in it as possible. Now, I can currently tell you that macOS Catalina and the testing that I've been doing with this launch has been buggy as hell. Um, the, the, the last one I did was a lot more stable. That wasn't last year, it was the year before. I think I tested Mountain Lion um, and it was a lot more reliable. Some of the bugs that I've experienced with this one is the second launch that I got, um, I couldn't use Firefox. You try to open Firefox and it'll crash immediately and I had to go back to using Chrome, which is really annoying when you've gotten used to using a particular browser and you have to switch to another one. The current bug I'm dealing with on here is um, that after my Mac's been powered up for a day, it's slow, it gets to a point where it slows down and I can't type, I can't use the mouse, and I can't move the programs around and then it'll unfreeze. Now, this sounds pretty terrible, but the whole point of doing this is when I experience a bug like this, you've got a little application that comes with this version of the software and you open it up and you type out the bug report so you explain the problem that you've, you're having, what you were doing at the time, what application it affects and what, the, um, what it's doing. And then what Apple will do is it will gather um, a couple of files from your computer. So it, it scans your system to, to download all of like the technical data and, and what the performance of the machine was doing at any given time. And then it will upload it to their um, main service. And it relies on these bug reports to weed out these problems and so that they can identify where the problems really lie. Now, what I expect they're doing on that side, and this is from, I'm saying this from my background of doing tech support, is you triage problems. So all of these problems will come in and then they'll have probably a first line team that will triage the problems to identify the ones that are just utterly random and, and like one or two people have had them and they're so obscure, they're just scratching their heads. And then they'll look at the problems that lots and lots of people are having the same problem. And that one is going to be quite important, especially if it's something like Firefox will not open, continuously crashes every time you try to open it. They would define that as a critical flaw. And the way that they would define it as a critical flaw is because lots of people were having the problem. And I know that because I did Google and, and check. And um, it's affecting a major, major program. Even if it's not one of their programs, they would still consider it to be because it's an operating system. They expect certain applications to run on there. So that would be how they triage it. And then they send it off to their engineers and their engineers will go away and fix the bugs for it. And then every couple of weeks, what they'll do is they'll release a new version of the operating system that they'll get you to download. And then you test that one and write out any bugs. Now, it's a really good way of getting information for the company that's building it and it's also a really good way to get early access to all the new tools and features that are going to come with a particular product but it's not for the faint-hearted because you can have problems installing it um, machines can crash and unless you are particularly technology savvy like i am well at least i hope i am considering i'm hosting a podcast called nerdic and i'm running a business that's based upon being a technologist um it can be quite difficult to cope with. Now, beta testing can take many forms. It doesn't just have to be operating systems or pieces of software. I enjoy testing it because it means I get early access to things and I like to play around with stuff and I really like breaking things to see how I can fix them. 
I am serious. It's called reverse engineering. It's how I learn. Um, it's a very funny way of learning, I'm aware, but um, I just find it, it challenges my mindset. So I really enjoy this kind of thing. Now, if you are building a service or you're building a product, you might want to consider doing beta testing, which is really, really cool. There are some things you should take into consideration when you are doing beta testing. First of all, you're going to have to recruit people into your program to be able to do that beta testing. And you are going to have to set their expectations. So from the get go, you're going to have to say, look, this is a beta testing program. Um, I'm only letting certain people in at a time. I'm either going to offer it for free or I'm going to offer it at a really low price. But as part of the beta testing, you're getting this, but I need you to give me feedback. Now, you are going to have to ask for that upfront because otherwise people will think, hey, I'm getting something really, really cheap and that's brilliant. What you really need is people that are going to be able to give you good quality feedback on the thing that you are testing or you're asking them to test. And the reason why you're doing that is because you want to smooth this process out as much as possible. The last thing you want to do realistically is release a product or service to the market that has all kinds of issues with it. And that's why you're doing this program. So I would suggest if you're going to run a program like this, you want to keep the numbers manageable. I'm not using the word small because if you're building a piece of software, you want a lot of people to be able to use that and to test that. But on the same side of that, you're also going to want to be able to manage the feedback that you're getting and then the changes that you would then need to make out the back of it. Now, if you are launching a tech product and you're a new startup out there, if you're one of the, the amazing women out there that have got a great idea for a piece of tech that you want to build, you need to know about beta testing to be able to do this. Now, when you start out building something that is going to end up with a lot of traffic on it, start small and build on increments. That way you aren't then faced with this huge influx of information that you can't realistically do anything with because you don't have the resources to make any changes. The other side of that is if you're making um, products that people can use, whether or not that's things you could eat, um, cosmetics, um, anything like that, you want to be mindful of the audience again that you are getting people to test that product with. This is not giving this to influencers and getting them to talk about your product, that's something completely different. What you're doing here is you're giving somebody a product and you're asking them to say, what's good about it? Um, did they have any problems with it? What were, you know, if it's food, what was the texture like? What was the flavor like? Did it meet their expectations? You have to be careful in these situations around asking people whether or not they like something or not. And I'm very, very mindful when I'm doing any kind of research not to ask people whether or not they like anything because liking something is quite subjective. What I like, I like. And it's sometimes it's hard to, for me to quantify why I might like one thing over another. Um, and if I was to say I thought something was pretty or it was it smelled nice, somebody else might say they didn't like it because they didn't think that. So comparing those two I, those two people together it's going to be really hard to get a sense out of that of um what you what you really think out of it um so just take that into consideration when you are doing beta testing just be very very mindful of the feedback that you are asking from people 
And in fact, before you start beta testing, I would recommend you sit down and you write out a series of questions about what it is that you want to know from the people that are doing the beta testing. Now, do that before you release it to the wild, because that way you've got it all set up and ready to go. Now, if you are a service-based organisation or you're delivering a service that you want people to use, I'm seeing a lot of people out there doing um, online courses, of which the toolkit is sort of going to be an online course. Um, it's a bit of a hybrid. But what you're doing with that is you've come up with something that is based upon your knowledge and your expertise. And the course that you're building is packaging your knowledge and expertise into a product. So you are productizing a service, something I find fascinating. Um, and I've worked on a few projects for paying clients when I've worked in agencies that have worked on productizing services. So when you do that, the thing is, is that you have to have a service that you can measure from start to finish and something that you can package up quite neatly and then sell at a particular price. The thing is with that, it becomes quite subjective in terms of pricing. So when you're building something and you want beta testing done on it, you've got to be mindful of things like asking how much somebody will pay for it because some people would pay 10 times what somebody else would pay. It depends on the problem that you're trying to solve and how much somebody's willing to pay for it. So when it comes to pricing, be mindful of that when you're, if you're going to ask that as a question as part of the beta testing. But generally when it comes to services and testing how services work, you are looking to see whether or not it solved the problem that that person had, whether or not it's helping them, and if so, how much did it help them? Um, you're looking to see if it's made a difference. Um, these are things that are in some respects more, more emotive, but if it's a problem like somebody doesn't know how to set up email, which by the way is the toolkit that I've been working on today, um, then you start off with the premise of that somebody's got an email address and perhaps a domain name, um, but they don't have the two joined together. So what I would be doing is talking them through how to create an email account using their domain name. So the goal for the end of that for me would be, has the person been able to set up their email account and done so without any problems, having used the material that I'm putting together. So it's A to B and there shouldn't be going all via Z, F, G in a rather distributed pattern, if that makes sense. So. That is fixing a problem, um, but there are other courses out there that might be teaching people how to do watercolours, to, to paint in watercolours. And there might be people who, who are teaching how to make a cake in a particular way. So look at the thing that you are putting together and then look at what the success for that looks like before you go out to beta test. Now, I think it's a really good thing to be doing. Um, it's one of those test and learn things. As you'll know, I'm quite passionate about build, test and learn. Um, but it's also, it's a bookmarking research exercise. So I'm a believer in doing research throughout the whole of the life cycle of something that you're putting together. So doing it at the start to understand customer needs, which I'm about to go back and do some more research so I can um, look at where I'm getting some problems and hopefully understand why I'm getting them and to try and fix them. And 
I'm also keen to ensure that once the products are ready to go and they're up and live that I get a small number of people to be to test them to see whether or not they, there are any issues if so what the issues are and how I can iron those out now I know from the kind of product that I'm building where the problems are likely to arise it's going to be around how I've worded something how I've communicated it um, and potentially the format that I've communicated it in so those for me are going to be the areas where I know I'm going to be getting some problems and I'm expecting those kinds of problems. So as you're building things, be mindful of where you think you might be getting problems, but also be mindful enough to ask the questions in such a way that it doesn't bias the answers that you're getting back, which is a whole topic on its own. And I will cover that in another session. Um, but for this week, I just thought I would put something together to talk about um, the beta testing because it teed up nicely with the Apple event. Now, just a brief follow up on the Apple event. I wrote three very long blog articles um, when the um, Worldwide Developer Conference happened um, before the start of the summer, which Apple at those events, Apple uh, launched all their software products. Gonna, they say what they're building, what's going to come out, what the new features are that are, are related to their software products. And then they give three to four months of testing before they actually launch them. Now I know that there is, I know what the launch date is for the iOS products. So the iOS products are going to be um, the iPhone, uh, iPad OS and watch OS. Those, um, the release date for that is next Thursday, um, around about the same, t um, no, sorry, this Thursday, I believe. This is terrible, isn't it? I'm talking on a podcast and I can't remember which. It's this Thursday. This Thursday. Great timing, Emma. Um, when these are launched, the, the features that are included in iOS, you'll be able to find out full details of them on my um, website. They've been up there for a little while and you can find them all. Um, I'll pin them to the homepage to make it easier for you to, to find them. And I'll also include links in the uh, podcast notes for this episode. There's a lot of new features that are coming. Um, some of the really exciting ones that I know when I posted it as the event was happening, it, the big one is cycle tracking on the Apple Watch and also on iOS because they appreciate it's a really important feature for a lot of women. Um, I'm not one of them. And um, they wanted to make it available on as many platforms as they could. So the cycle tracking is not for bicycle tracking that you need to use your um, Apple fitness tracker for. Now this, the cycle tracking is for women's menstrual cycles. Now, last night in the Apple event, they announced um, partnerships that they are doing um, around research. So the watch has, they've built in an awful lot of health tracking um, activity into the Apple watch and they are using the data that's being gathered. They're anonymizing the data and, and they're sharing that data with um, research establishments in the US. You, the data that is collected in the UK is not shared. It's only in the US and you have to um, sign up to their research program to say that you're happy for your data to be shared. Now, one of the things that they said that they were going to share was um, the data from the women's menstrual cycle tracking application because they are working with um, a university and the National Institute of Health in America to, to undertake one of the largest um, studies in 
uh, tracking women's menstrual cycles that's been undertaken so far. Now, going back to the beta testing argument, you get great data when you've got a large a large volume of it. So you can get some really interesting research insights. And to date, that kind of information has been hard to track because research establishments would have to recruit participants to take part in the studies. And they're not always that well known about, or they've got some, like some rather bad names around them. But the um, research that can be done by taking the data that's collected that you're sharing with it means that they've got a larger body of, of data they can work with so they can do a lot more with it so it's really really exciting that that's happening i might have put out a little squeal of oh my god um at this point because it's i'm always complaining that there's never enough research done around um women's health or women's reproductive organs um the reason why I complain about it and the reason why I say I can't use the cycle tracker is because um, I had a hysterectomy five years ago, so I can't use it. Um, but I believe it's brilliant. I haven't tested it because I i don't have, I haven't updated my watch and my phone as part of the beta testing program. I don't update all my applications to do the beta testing. I do leave some that don't have the apps on them just for purposes of if anything goes tits up, then I've got a bit of a backup plan. It's always good to have a backup plan, ladies. Um, anyway, the again with the research um, that they were showing last night in the event, one of the segments that they included was they they showed real people whose lives had been saved by the Apple Watch. I know that sounds a little bit trite, but um, I was in tears and what they'd said was that people who had the watch had written to Apple to say that they knew it sounded a bit weird or a bit strange writing to Apple, but they wanted to say that having the Apple Watch had saved their lives. And they had the people themselves on FaceTime and they were showing them as part of this clip. And they showed an elderly gentleman who'd fallen over. And um, there's something in the watch that if you fall over and you don't respond within a certain period of time, it will automatically call the emergency services. It showed um, two people who, um, the ECG tracker, which will track your heart rate and is as good as a, I think they said it was a five lead, five or six lead ECG, will give the same reading. Um, the Their alarm had gone off on their watch and they had a heart rate of 225 beats per minute and they were it was suggested that they get themselves to hospital quite quickly. And one of the... Um, one of the people talking had said that the hospital told him that if they, this hadn't been caught, he would have had a, heart, a, a fatal heart attack within 12 months. There was a, a woman who was pregnant and her heart rate had gone through the roof and she got to the hospital. It turns out she had a, a, a very serious infection and she, her baby had to be delivered early. Um, and the baby survived, but they wouldn't have caught the fact that her heart rate had gone so high and that she had the infection because she wasn't showing any symptoms of it had it not been caught. So these kinds of things, I, I just, it moved me. It really moved me. And the reason why I'm saying it is because this is the reason why I got into technology in the first place. 22 years ago, I could see a future that this kind of thing could make a difference, that you could make real difference to people's lives. And yes, I know I am a bit of an Apple fangirl. Um, I'm not going to apologise for that. I know I've been derided for it quite a lot in the past, but it was just really moving to see how a piece of technology that, you know, has gone from just being a rotary watch to a digital piece of information that's on your wrist can save your life. And that, that impacted me quite a lot. And had they not um, 
gone out and done research from the very start and if they had not continued to do research they wouldn't necessarily understand a the possibility and then b the difference that it can make that it really has an impact on people's lives so this is the value of doing research and testing when it comes to anything that you're putting out there to to develop never ever think that your idea is a bad idea or that somebody else has already done it because there are different ways you can do things and there's always room for improvement in anything. You've only got to look at the British government to see that. Now, there are some fantastic beta programs out there that if you want to go and have a look at them and see what they're doing, even if you don't sign up for them, if you're thinking about doing beta testing, then they might be useful to, for you to get a bit of insight. Now, I'm going to wrap up for today because I've got a dog that's giving me the furry eyeball because I think he wants to go for another walk. Um, and I will join you again next week for another episode.